Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 524, with Oliver Stormjack. I really love what I do, um, and so it makes it really easy to um, work really hard for the benefit of everybody that works for our company as well. And and I see my staff doing the same. They love they love this company. They love what they do. So it's 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 easier to go to work when you're happy doing what you love. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. If you want new customers, more revenue, and a huge advantage over your competition, then listen up. My good friend and industry expert, Nick Fosberg, is doing something special for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. He says most owners are wasting money on Facebook because our industry does not provide enough knowledge, and I got to say, I agree. So Nick is going to take some of our listeners and guarantee them a minimum of $500 in sales for every $100 they spend on ads. If not, they don't pay. Yes, that means he's guaranteeing a 500% ROI and new customers in your door. That's pretty rad. If you want more info, go to ru500.net. That's ru for restaurant unstoppable 500.net. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's soundtrackyourbrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Oliver Stormshack. Oliver, are you feeling unstoppable today? Yeah. Half a cup of coffee in. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. We got this coffee. Why don't you tell us what we're drinking real quick sure. before I introduce you? Yeah, this is a Colombian coffee. It's from a single producer. Her name is Amparo Pohoy, and we are the exclusive buyer for all her coffee. Yeah, and that's a big part of your story, uh, your, your purchasing decisions. I'm sure we're going to get into that and how that's impacted so many lives, but let's uh, set the, the listeners up with some info. With 23 years experience, Oliver Stormshack has worked in all aspects of the industry, including barista, manager, roaster, production, and green coffee buyer. He is passionate about improving lives around the world through quality coffee, uh, equitable trading in global transparency. In 2010 with Sam Schroeder, Oliver purchased Olympia Coffee Roasting. Together, they've grown the brand to over five locations throughout the the state. Uh, and you guys are continuing to grow. Great things are happening. I'm really excited to watch this brand, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah, I think, I think my biggest motivator is to, uh, focus on doing good in the world like business should exist to benefit people yes i love it and where did you pick up on that where did this 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 concept come from so i think i'm a like cultural prodigy of this area and and uh, evergreen state college is where i went to college and 
while I was going to school there, I, I realized that, um, you know, that ultimately business shouldn't be a dirty word. It shouldn't be uh, frowned upon and, uh, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. We should be proud of business, but business can and should exist to leave the world a better place. So I realize we're still just on the, the, uh, opening quote or mantra, but I really want to dive in deeper here. Cause I think there's some, 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 uh, some gold that's lying underneath all this. Where do you think business goes wrong in today's age? Like what, what, what do you think business is doing wrong in, in the, the, the grand scheme of things? Where do you think we've gone awry? Mm, well, I think that a lot of people, uh, maybe get into business with, with an, an idea that it's going to be a, an easy, quick buck. Um, most of those businesses fail. I think kind of like your first job as a barista. Yeah. It's going to be easy, right? It's going to be, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be so easier and read books well, all I'm day sure we'll and talk about make a ton of money. Later. Um, so I, I think that people kind of get, you know, or they, their biggest motivator is that they want to be their own boss. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that some abuses kind of, naturally uh, are inherent in that. So you come into it with a kind of an abusive mindset. You're, you're going to extract as much as you possibly can from the situation. Mm. So one of the things I, I like to say, and I'll bounce this off of you, you can tell me if you agree or disagree. I think that a capitalism is a beautiful thing. And if done right, capitalism can create tons of opportunities to help a lot of people. But capitalism paired with greed and self-serving uh, mentality is kind of, I think where a lot of, is, is that aligned with what you're thinking? Or I don't know if I, I am hitting the, the yeah. nail on the head here. I mean, you can do whatever you want with capitalism, mm. right? Yeah. So yeah. Y- you can do super negative things yep. or you can choose to do super positive things. Well, I'm happy you're choosing the, the later super positive things. And uh, let's kind of go back to where it all started for you. So you, you got started in this industry as a, a high school kid, right? Yeah. Uh, what was that first experience like? Yeah, so um, I started in uh, just outside of uh, where I grew up in Puyallup, Washington, and um, started as a barista. And initially, I just thought it would be like a really easy job. It seemed easy from the outside looking in. Just like owning a a business, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I thought I could just like listen to cool music and read books and, you know, do the coffee house. Yeah, how'd that work out? Uh, I was like totally overwhelmed. There was, you know, everybody coming in in the morning and they all had these, you know, triple grande latte with extra foam and, you know, Snickers bar, all this crazy stuff where it was like a bartender and I had no idea that it was so complex. Yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, that could have been the end of the story uh, right there. It was, it was not exactly what I thought. And, but somewhere into it, um, I kind of fell in love with the hustle first. Um, you know, like working a line, the putting, fast pace, the fast pace, putting your head down, crushing it out. Like um, that's initially like the thing that kind of hooked me. It's almost like, which is kind of surprising, just because I don't really get that vibe from you. But it just goes to show, like you know, everybody's built uniquely. Uh, so what was it about that? that that hustle that really sucked you in uh, i mean immediate sense of accomplishment mm. um you know you're getting a product out the door uh with expertise in a timely manner you're delivering that customer service mm-hmm. you're, um you know you're connecting on a 
one-to-one human level with people hundreds of times every day. Yes. Um, and it, it's just kind of addictive yeah. once you do it for a little bit. You and you know? said that's what got you first, that, that yeah. you know, instant gratification, that ability to connect with hundreds of people a day. But there's more than that, right? Uh, your love for the industry kind of stretched beyond that. What, what, what was the other stuff that really sucked you in? Yeah. So kind of the, that first job, you know, was only a, a high school gig. And then um, I ended up moving to Arizona to be closer to my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife today. And, um, uh, you know, going to Arizona in the nineties, if you were from the Seattle area and you'd worked in coffee, you were pretty much like a coffee expert. (laughs) (laughs) So I rode that like wave for getting a job really quickly in Arizona. And, um, you know, long story short, uh, when Starbucks was expanding throughout the Southwest, um, I joined their team and you know, opened hundreds of stores okay. in, in a matter of a few few years. And that story is missing from your background. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I think I have a non compete. So okay, that well, is now past past. Expired, are we allowed right? to talk about the things you learned working underneath such an incredible institute uh, at the you know during that time? I want to say maybe they're quite what they are today as, as they were back then. Right. Um, but what did you learn about business going around the the, the nation opening all these stores, or was it? just Arizona. It was this sort of Southwest. So my region was from Las Vegas to Tucson to San Diego. Okay. Exactly. What was your, your job? What were you doing? So I was a retail developer. Okay. Um, uh, essentially what that meant is to help create systems and teach those systems to all these new staff that help create out. systems and teach the systems, man. Now you're, you're whispering sweet nothings into my ear. Uh, so give me some nuggets, some lessons about developing systems that you learned during this time of your life. Yeah. I mean, um, at first it was uh, retail operations. So, um, how do you open a retail store in terms of what sort of items do you need to create uh, to stock that store to open? How do you merchandise? So creating a really clear, um, uh, we started with a picture form. So we would literally take a picture of a bookshelf with all the retail merchandise, exactly how it was supposed to be displayed, and then reproduce that. And then um, the thing that became a a much bigger influencer for me was the coffee education. And that's, you know, that's the second tier of, I think my, my path in coffee is, um, when I joined Starbucks, it was, it was, uh, I wasn't totally convinced that I wanted to stay in the coffee industry. It was, it was a good job and I was learning a lot and I loved the, um, the sort of startup mentality at that time. Um, our goal was 2000 by the year 2000. If you can believe that now, wow. I think they're at like 70,000 now. That's crazy. So, um, so it was still kind of this like Northwest company that was pushing really hard. And, um, I think a lot of us felt like we were part of something, a wave of something new in the world. Like especially coffee was never and especially in the Southwest, nobody had ever heard of it. So we were, almost like uh, preachers or something, you know, yeah, bring in new, new evangelists. <laughs> yeah. I'm bringing a new religion, uh, you know, of coffee, especially coffee. And, and then um, basically hiring and training hundreds of new employees that have had had no experience with specialty coffee. We had to teach these 
systems of what what is this specialty coffee thing and so I, I delved deeper into um, how do you teach coffee education and um, starting with uh, kind of the seed this cup story you know where does coffee grow how, how do you roast it um, how do you brew it and um, that became something that would you know, become a driver from, from then on. Okay. For me. So for you, you, you definitely gravitated towards more of the educational aspect of the industry, which kind of ties into the creating the systems. Part of creating the systems is you have to teach, you have to educate. Uh, and you also mentioned part of the big part of creating those systems going in there is, uh, creating that picture of, 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 of perfection, right? People need a, something to aim for. They need to uh, know what the job done right looks like. They need that, that, that target. Uh, and one of the key things I pull from what you share with us is that you went through and you took pictures of everything, right? You can either write down, this is exactly how it needs to look, or you can literally take a picture to, to be that aiming point. Um, so when creating these systems, have that aiming point. The other part of that is the educational. So when you're going into a region and these people know nothing about what you're doing, about the product that you have, what's the, the best approach to, to educating your people? And why is that element of education so important? Yeah, um, the thing that as I didn't do it right in the beginning, so I'll, I'll admit that. Okay, what did you do wrong? Um, I I think that I led with a little bit too much pure passion and not enough compassion. Okay, what's the um, difference? So uh, the way that I approach coffee now and educate our staff of Olympia Coffee is more of a, a gentler approach that um, everything about what we do should be really fun and really interesting and benefit everybody. At that time, it was just like, this is specialty coffee. It's so pristine. It's so untouchable, but we are going to try to master it. Okay. You know, um, kind of created it like, because I, I personally was fascinated by the allure of it. Now I, I basically try to demystify it. You know, there, all this mystery behind coffee, it's all baloney. Now let's focus on what the true details of it are okay. and let's make it really approachable because it really is. So you made it approachable. I mean, the, you, you took all the, the, the mystery out of it and you broke down those walls and you said, you got this today. It, yeah. Yeah. It's approachable. <laughs> so, uh, really break down what's happening in the psyche with that, with that approach, like what you're accomplishing by taking that approach. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is that, um, you're con- you're making a direct connection, um, with somebody's life. So you're, you're having an impact where they no longer are intimidated by this product and they can become just as passionate and as you are in in their own formats, in their kind of own direction. Okay, cool. All right. Let's zoom back to uh, the current spot we, we left off and the, the chronological approach here. So you're in Arizona, uh, you get snagged up by Starbucks, you're opening hundreds of locations throughout the Southwest. Uh, any other big lessons about business that you drew from this group, an incredible group to work for? Yeah, it's interesting um, because it turns out uh, that they were the biggest influencers on my um, on my uh, business career, I guess, um, which I didn't realize as, as it was happening. But, um, I think the, uh, discipline that they have, um, became something that I wouldn't see again for, you know, 
another decade until I started my own company. So real quick, I want to go deeper here because earlier we talked about the the mission of a restaurant owner, right? And creating those systems is to paint that picture of perfection. My job is to paint that picture of perfection for my listeners. So what does discipline look like? What is that picture of perfection, that level of discipline? Take us there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very simple. Um, it's basically looking at your profit and loss statements and your labor percentages and forcing everything to fit into. How do you force it? Uh, I mean, (laughs) you focus on your sales and and you, uh, if you're overstaffing, you cut labor and Mm -hmm. so it's basically creating systems for the people who create systems, right? It's that, it's that having that, that next level of systems for the people that are the management, right? That the, the little things that you have to do every day, create a checklist. What are your numbers today? Like before you leave, you lock up, you have to go through and make sure you touch on these little things, right? So do you, where do you keep that information? Is it in the operations manuals or a separate one for managers and, and owners? Like, how does that go for Olympia coffee? Well, in general, like how did Starbucks do it? Uh, it's, it's within management there and the same thing for Olympia coffee. It's, you have a clear kind of, um, directive on, this is what we're expecting. This is what's achievable. These are the tools that you have to achieve them. Okay. Again, just painting that picture. Like this is what we expect. I mean, it's creating clarity. Okay, cool. Um, okay. Keep going. I forgot where we left off before I got really excited there and wanted to go deeper. Uh, they helped you, uh, create discipline is I think is the thing that you were saying. Yeah. So w- what was your train of thought before I derailed you? No, I mean, I think, uh, that's not very sexy, right? I mean, you're, you're a young person and you're super passionate about, uh, becoming a chef or, uh, becoming, you know, a coffee professional and looking at profit and loss statements is about as far away from that as I think one can be, I th- at least I was in a point of just like, it's all about the product and the passion. And, um, so even though I had this education with them and, you know, was very much kind of like forced into this specific retail box, I left Starbucks being like, boy, I don't ever want to do that again. Like that was crazy. Um, and then when did you leave? What year was that? I left in 2000, 2000. So you spent nine years, uh, from leaving Starbucks to getting what happened? Were you working in other roasteries or were you just traveling, uh, expanding your knowledge? What was going on during these nine years before coming to Olympia? Yeah. So, um, in, uh, in 1999, I, I met somebody, um, at the specialty coffee association trade show. And, uh, that person worked for an Olympia based company called Batdorf and Bronson. And, um, you know, I basically joined their team and okay. I spent the next like 10 years there. At what were you doing? Um, I did a lot of different things. I, I initially started in training and retail. Okay. And what was, what was this company again? Say it one more time. Batdorf and Bronson. Say that one more time. I know it's, it's a Batdorf. Batdorf. And, and Bronson. And Bronson. What, what was so two last names? What were basically. they doing? What was their business? So, um, they are a coffee roaster and then, um, they're a retailer. Okay. And at that time they had, uh, I want to say two cafes in Olympia and then a roastery in Atlanta, Georgia. Gotcha. Wow. That's weird. And (laughs) so I saw this company that was basically a better version of 
specialty coffee okay. than what I would th- than what Starbucks was. They were doing. So what a- was it about? Um, I'm not even gonna try to say the, the name of the. Say it one more time for Batdorf and Bronson. Batdorf and Bronson. What was it about Batdorf and Bronson that was better than Starbucks at the time? Um, they bought better green coffee and they roasted better. Okay, so pretty simple. So what but, made them able to do this? Was it because they were still on a small scale? They could have more of an impact, go deeper. I think, yeah. I mean, ultimately, yes. Um, but they also had the reference point of. Starbucks probably, and you could you could basically say Starbucks is doing X. We're gonna out outbeat them or outperform them and do something better for our customers. Okay, and that was kind of I think there. I don't want to speak for them really, but that that was my sense for what their model was. Okay, so still second wave. Coffee. Definitely, I'm I'm gonna fully like sign off on this and saying that Batdorf from Bronson is probably the best second wave roaster in oh, the wow. world. And where are they located again? They're from Olympia. Olympia. Where are they now? Are they still around? Yeah. Oh man, maybe I should get. They're maybe, just down. Now the that street. I have my, my inside the guy. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, sip, sip of coffee time, real quick. Mm. It's so good. It's hard to put down. Um, okay. So uh, you were doing many things for these guys. Go ahead. Take yeah. So um, I attempted to do the same thing with creating systems uh, for their cafe, trying to kind of. Uh, improve their quality. They were doing a good job sourcing coffee and doing a good job roasting it, but they weren't brewing it very well in their okay. cafes. They didn't have the systems in place. Okay. So you um, took it from uh, post-production, essentially you had the the bean, but now you were trying to get the bean into liquid form, basically, to the best of its, your ability. Yeah, and customer service, too. And customer so service. it's like, you know, you, you have this great product, but you have to, you have to sell it, and you have to do it, you have to, uh, retail that and have a great experience and all the things that I had learned at Starbucks, you know, where you know, pr- product is part of what they do, but, yeah. but they will fully admit that they are selling an experience. Absolutely. Like we and, all should be trying to do. Yeah. So that was kind of my focus with, with that company initially. And then, um, so they had the product, but you had to take them, you had to create the processes to help sell the experience. Right. Okay. What did that look like? How do, how do you get into a place? I mean, if somebody's listening to this right now saying, I got damn good product, but like I'm a back of house person or, you know, my, my role is like, I'm the technician. I, I love doing the thing. I don't necessarily know how to translate the, the, the thing into customer experience. Uh, how, how did you go about doing that? Is that, is that too deep of a question or you got, you got one lined up for that? Um, I mean, I can tell you, uh, essentially how it should be done. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, What's I'm going to say that they didn't trust me to do it. So it failed. Oh man. So, okay. I mean, what you see in Olympia coffee is the fruition of that thought. Okay. Like, it, I carried it through with my own company later, got you, got you. but okay. you know, I was hired to do something. And then they didn't, they essentially became scared of me and scared of the change because it's scary. It's, it's, you're changing somebody's business. So if you're the owner of a business and, and you know that you're doing some things wrong and you're willing to admit that you're doing some things wrong and you can improve it, you can hire somebody to help you improve them, but you have to let them do the Mm. hard work to make those changes. So they were afraid to make the changes because it was too much work and then maybe they thought, I think it hurt their ego too. Okay. You know, it's like, there's no room for ego in this industry. <laughs> uh, so, you, you know, it leaves room, but for you were there for nine years. So you couldn't have been like a, a complete disaster. 
No, I mean, <laughs> I basically did the same sort of thing in every asset of their business. So I went from retail, and then when retail sort of was like, yeah, we really can't improve this area, they were like, well, why don't you look at production? So I went into production manager and streamlined their operations in production. And when that became uncomfortable, they asked me to look at roasting. And then when that became... <laughs> So it was like a weird cycle. So what was happening here where things were getting uncomfortable? Were you basically, you would bring it to a certain level where they were maybe satisfied and then you'd still want to go? Like there's no firewall for you? Maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. I mean, here's the thing is like, I'm able to, I, as an employee, I was able to make businesses profitable for people. And I think that that's where they wanted to end the discussion. But when things came to like improving morale and improving systems um, that doesn't cost a company more, um, but that creates like a waves. Waves. Yeah. I think they're that you know isn't the ethos of some of the companies. So some companies just want to get to a certain point and then like okay we got it locked in, but you kept pushing. You kept on wanting to do better and better and better. Right. That's a good habit, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm really proud of it, and yeah. it's something that like is still a driver for my own company. Okay, and you know, the day we started, uh, part of our part of our value system is to that like constant improvement upon what we do. Mm-hmm. I uh, I what's the word? Subscribe to that notion of thought. Uh, so, any other big lessons in this nine year period? Any other ways you transformed as a professional? At, at I think that the biggest lesson I learned and this is like this took the nine years to figure it out and then it was like one day just like a light bulb going off yes I love light bulbs go for it um that you cannot change a company you know to fit into what you want the company has to you have to have full buy-in with you know the company itself Mm -hmm. and they have to buy into you so there was just like a disconnect there. You yeah. guys are pulling in two different directions. Exactly. So what was the direction after nine years, 2009, um, you said, you know, this is a direction I want to go. What was that direction? So ultimately, like during this time period, um, there wasn't a word for it at the time. But um, when I joined the company, there was a movement happening in specialty coffee that I was a big part of. And I was creating a new roadmap for specialty coffee and it would later be coined the term third wave coffee. Mm-hmm. And um, about like yeah, five years into working for them, like this stuff started happening. Barista competitions, latte art, uh, you know, focusing more on uh, specific producers from a specific farm location. So the transparency elements started to come forth. Uh, uh, terms like direct trade, uh, roasters sourcing their own coffee, um, not having middlemen or importers do the work for them. Like you're actually traveling to origin. All this stuff started changing in the industry. And, and ultimately like I had been creating this path and trying to pull this company with me. This is the direction of the industry. We should go this direction. And ultimately like the light bulb went off when I was like, wait a second, they don't want this. I want this. I don't belong in this company. Mm. I'm the weirdo. Mm. They're not weird at all. They're, they totally know what their business yeah. is. They're doing fine. Like 
I got to slam on the brakes real quick with two feet on the brakes because if you're listening to this and you're, if you're resonating with this story of having a vision for yourself, having an idea, a certain uh, selection of passions that you have that aren't coming out in your current role, go find the team that, that allows you to do what you're passionate about. Like get on the same team as the people that have your passions. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm hearing from you is like that you got to be with your people. You got to be pulling in the same direction with other people. So uh, was that, did you see that in Olympia coffee roasting at the time or were they weren't quite there yet either? Were they? No. So um, Olympia coffee was a, a, a really small company at that time. Um, like 2000, 2009 ish. And um, they were roasting coffee for their own. Um, it was, they had three, the owners of Olympia coffee had three businesses, espresso parts, which is like a um, small wares vendor industry related vendor. And then um, crazy espresso, which was like a drive through chain and had about a dozen locations. And then Olympia coffee, which supplied coffee to primarily their locations. Okay. Um, and I, I was hired into the company again as sort of like a turnaround man. Okay. So I was hired to position the company to sell. Okay. And so what was, um, what did Olympia coffee roasting look like at this time, uh, compared to maybe the rest, the, the roaster that I can't think of how to say the name again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they were a lot smaller and, um, they weren't known for, as good of quality coffee. Um, there was a joke around Olympia. If you, if you lived here and, uh, that it was called oily coffee, <laughs> Olympia coffee roasting was called oily yeah. coffee. Okay. Like oily coffee, but okay. people joked it was oily coffee. Okay. Got you. So, you know, it's just kind of like this cheaper sub brand that existed. So what made you somebody who's kind of like a coffee, uh, elitist at this point, uh, what what was it about Olympia Coffee that made you jump on board? Were you desperate for a job, or was there something that, that else was that was going on? Did you see the potential? No. So basically, what was happening is um, kind of three things. I went back to school, and I went back to school and studied food science. So I was I was going to school full time, and then started uh, a contract job with Olympia Coffee to help them prepare for a sale. So essentially cleaning up their operation, improving their systems, like improving their quality so that uh, they could sell at a higher price. Okay. I kind of want to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, which is when you, when you join a team and you have to turn things around and create these systems, these processes, these procedures, where do you start? And that before you said, you know, paint that picture of perfection and educate your staff. What are some of the other things that you, that you do? What does that turnaround look like? Well, um, when I, to be clear, when I joined Olympia Coffee, I was alone. I was solo, and it was a painful process. So you were alone in the sense, alone to do the job. Yeah. Okay. I was alone to do the job, and you know I had a specific job to do, but again, simultaneously, um, I had started my own coffee roasting company. So that was the third thing, and I was roasting coffee in my basement wow. at, at my home. Wow. And um, so I was going to school full time, working at a company to sell it, and then started my own company at the same time. It was, I had a website. It was a, primarily a subscription 
uh, coffee roaster, and it was focused on um, beginnings of uh, direct trade or sourcing your own coffees at origin, building relationships with producers and sort of highlighting those flavors throughout. And then, um, long, really long story short, uh, somewhere in that mix of preparing Olympia coffee for a sale, the conversation came up with with the uh, owners, the previous owners of Olympia Coffee, that was like, well, maybe maybe you should consider purchasing it. We, we would be really proud if you took the company because okay. your coffee's awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I had that conversation with my wife, and which is just kind of like, you know, we have this little company that we're building from scratch, or we can purchase Olympia coffee. It's going to be about the same amount of money, but we're going to end up with a few more customers. If we immediately go with the Olympia coffee version, we're sort of, we're buying the name, which is, has some pros and cons, but, um, it's, it's an existing business that has a good brand already built. Yeah. It just needs, it just needs more, um, love and attention so okay and also the other assets i mean the the equipment all these things that you can take your passion now right and maybe have more potential using the the resources that would be at your disposal in new space is that exactly so okay you, it's a, it's much more of a turnkey operation exactly you know you're you're um you're able to immediately have more impact and scale right away so potentially uh, it depends on the situation, but for me, I felt like it was a less risky option. Yeah. So and then gonna, again, I, I could have, I would have, if I had opened a retail store in Olympia, I would now have Baddorf and Bronson to compete with, Olympia to compete with. So, so you're absorbing one of your competitors. You're exactly. eliminating them right out of the gate. Exactly. Um, okay, that's smart. So just to kind of get Ariel real quick, uh, you came to Olympia Coffee Roasting uh, to turn things around, uh, which ended up Basically, you did turn things around, but then you 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 purchase what you turned around, right. uh, which is kind of cool. But there's another variable here too. You had Sam, uh, your business partner. So uh, uh, what's his last name again? I'm sorry, Schroeder. Schroeder, yeah, Sam Schroeder, your business partner, who had been with the company since 2005. And he was also quite the barista himself, winning multiple awards in the industry, competing. So how does he kind of talk about this this partnership how, how, why did you go, come to him and say hey do you want to be a partner yeah like what, what did that all look like yeah so um he had been a partner with the previous owners um they're the Zenowitz family I'm sorry okay. I didn't mention that um and uh basically he decided uh to exit that partnership uh, in 2009 and part of why I came on was essentially replacing him as an operations manager okay so he operated the business he was exiting i was hired we had about a month uh transition period where okay. we worked together and i think we both were kind of like oh wow you're kind of cool like yeah y- you kind of get it um and so he was leaving what olympic coffee roasting was but then you came in and maybe he was kind of doing the same situation that you had where you wanted to do more of the third wave. You wanted to maybe purchase direct from the, he was more aligned with your values. He was much more aligned with my values. He didn't have, um, the long work history that I had in terms of how do you achieve the systems yet? Mm -hmm. 
he had the grit and the passion, the passion, but he just didn't have like the, the expertise, the experience. Yeah. Yeah. He's a young dude at this point still, because he, he joined in 2005 as their first employee, right? Was he a partner then? Cause he was still in high school when he, when he, no, he was in college when he, when he joined. Um, and I think he became, I I can't remember the details exactly. I should know this, but I want to say that he was offered partnership a couple years in. Okay. So still pretty young, you know, 22, 23 years old, uh, was one of his first jobs. So it it wouldn't be expected that he would know how to do all these things. Right. Okay. So, uh, he's leaving, you come on board, he takes an interest in you, you take an interest in him. How did that conversation of say, maybe you should stay on board? How did that go down? Yeah. So, um, as, as I'm going through the process of, um, reorganizing Olympia coffee, going through the purchase, um, creating a, a new business plan, a new roadmap for the business. And what, what, are, what are we going to do in the world? How are we going to have this impact? You know, um, as I talked about a little bit earlier, I wanted to have a business that would, uh, truly benefit everybody in our society. And, um, I knew that in order to do that, that one of the keys was going to be to be a little bit larger than just like a one store shop. And, um, I knew that we would have to have probably multiple retail locations in order to have that, um, scale and to, to buy the type of coffee quality that we really love. Um, and I knew that if I was going to have, you know, five plus retail stores that I wasn't going to be able to do it, or it would be a lot easier to bring somebody to help me Mm -hmm. to do it. So, uh, he's the first person I thought of and, yeah, we, I called him up and we chatted for a couple months about, about the process and what it would look like and what our, what our dreams are for this business. And, and he joined, he joined Olympia coffee just after I purchased the company. Okay. So a lot of people, one of the, a lot of what we talk about here on the podcast is partnerships, right? Um, and getting into partnerships and making sure you're finding the right partner. Uh, so how did Sam, compliment you what where was he strong that you were weak was there any like lanes that were going on here uh you you barely knew him really so what was going on in your head saying like i don't really know this guy that well but like i trust him enough to give him equity in my business like what was going on there yeah um hmm that's a great question (laughs) (laughs) i don't ask the easy questions uh again i think like the the biggest um the, I guess the rarest thing that I see in somebody is this like intense determination, um, sort of just grit or, you know, drive to be successful. Um, that, that doesn't come up very often when, when you, uh, have an employee, um, let's say, and I really connected with Sam mm-hmm. on, on that level. And so I think I really believed in him that he had the same sort of worth ec- work ethic that that I have okay um so that was that was like the connecting point um what about values what about vision where were you guys there I think we had a a very similar vision um I'll be honest like a lot of the motivator initially for me and and keeps being like a deep passion of mine is more uh looking at 
the sourcing side of our equation. That's kind of like my huge strength is uh, coffee quality, but also the ethics of sourcing coffee. Mm. And, and I think I have a strong skill set in that area. Um, what are uh, the ethics that you, that you apply? <laughs> like, what are your ethics? I think part of what I have to do with this podcast is make an example of the people I'm talking to and their value and their ethics. Uh, and I'm trying to transform the industry by making an example of people like, like you. So what are those values? What are those ethics? Yeah. So, um, we should come back to this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Let me talk a little bit about the ethics of I'm sourcing coffee. And, I'm not going to let you get away from that question. What, so you know, what we wanted to change, basically, and it's like previously um, the coffee industry, you would purchase coffee from a coffee importer. And it was almost like going to a grocery store, you know, Costa Rican coffee for sale at a set price by the importer. Um, when you bought that coffee there was no premium applied to the person who grew the coffee. There was no benefit for uh, the grower itself. So there was there were, basically a flat rate depending, no, regardless of how good your coffee was, there was a flat rate for coffee and then it would get graded uh, from that post, point post yeah. uh, purchase. purchase. And then the, the additional value would go to the distributor, not the actual uh, grower. You got it. Exactly. Okay. So, um, we started a program uh, very early into Olympia Coffee. Um, at that time, we called it Direct Trade. We've we've added a lot more to that since. But um, the basic idea, the basic premise is that you're sourcing your own coffee, you're visiting coffee producers, and you're selecting the coffees that you purchase as a company. And then you cup and score those coffees and then you create a pricing structure back to the producer based upon the taste of that coffee. And nobody else is, you know, getting uh, at the, the premium is a, yeah, yeah. the premium is a, everybody is making a profit off the coffee. So the farmer makes a profit. If you're hiring an importer, they're going to make a profit an exporter, et cetera. But nobody is, you know, being gouged by this system. Yeah. So, but when you remove the middleman, they're licensed for your distribution, right? They have all the credentials you need to be able to import uh, products from different nations. Uh, what extra burden do you take on when you have to go directly to the source and to import goods, uh, agricultural goods from other nations? There has to be, I don't even want to okay, know so, what that process looks like. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And honestly, we do not remove them. So what happens is we do the active work of purchasing our own coffees, working with our own coffee farmers, and then we put it out for a bid Okay, so for they, exporting and importing. So the they're coffee. still, they, they cover all the logistics. Yeah. You just use them as yeah, a absolutely. middleman. They're a service provider Okay, that is essential to the industry, but they shouldn't control the industry. Absolutely. So, and... That relationship for a lot of importers is now really comfortable. Um, you know, I think that they still it's make their, they yeah they they still make their money and they're they're happy. They have the work. Um, they can also do the main source of business that they've relied on for hundreds of years. But yeah, it's kind of a win win for everybody. Okay, so do we bring it back to ethics and values now, or are you uh, still got more to drop on us with that regard? Of yeah. So um, ultimately, like. With with our sourcing protocol, what we look at is 
uh, we call it fair for all. So we're the first company in the world that now not only does the work to source our own coffees and purchase coffee directly from a coffee farmer, but we guarantee that the people who work at the farm are also getting a sustainable minimum wage. So at a coffee farm, you might have, you know, a dozen or a hundred pickers throughout the season that harvest coffee cherry in the sun. And, you know, previously uh, you would pay the farmer, quote, and they would receive a great premium. Maybe it's double that of fair trade or something. But they wouldn't pass on that premium to the staff mm. that, that worked for them. So they were, you know, in effect, taking advantage and exploiting people in the process. Yeah. So the system that we've built is a contractual basis with all of the producers we work with that guarantees that if we're going to work with you, then we're going to provide you with a huge premium, but that you're also going to pay a premium to the people who work for you yes. so that everybody wins in this this supply chain. Yes. I mean, I think that right there is huge. This The, the sharing of values, not just knowledge, not just how to do this uh, to, to be profitable, but also of the values that you have in only aligning yourself with people who are willing to meet you with at your values, of, at your ethics. Uh, do you want to reflect on that? I'll just agree with you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't think people, I think our, our role, everybody in life almost has this role to a responsibility to transform others, to, to have certain values, right. And to try to, to share those values and to, uh, transfer that energy, right. To, to grow, uh, I don't know if I'm using the right words. I'm still trying to figure out like exactly how I feel about this. What are you, you're shaking your head. Yes. What are you thinking as I say this? Yeah. I mean, um, again, like part of like the inspiration for me is can, can we have a business that's profitable where everybody benefits Mm -hmm. so we can benefit the, the person who grows the product, the produce, we can benefit the people who work in our operation and then can we benefit our customers yeah. by existing? You know, and there's something that's kind of echoing in the back of my head as we're discussing all these things right now. Um, we're, we're living in an age where people aren't necessarily motivated by external factors like wage and benefits and things like that. It's more internal variables of, of consciousness of knowing that I'm going to work for a company that has these values and you're attracting onto yourself really great people because of the good you're trying to do in the world. And people want, if they're only going to make 15 bucks an hour, 14 bucks an hour, they're going to go make that 15, 14 bucks an hour with the best freaking company out there so they can feel good about the work they're doing. That's one variable that's echoing in the back of my mind. The other one is you are also now able to tell the story behind all these growers, right? And now your your product, you get to sell an experience through the story that you get to tell from you're drinking this coffee, but this coffee was, the bean was grown in this village by this farmer who has a story, who has these values. Do you leverage that? Do you tell the story? Do you really try to create that experience for both the, the guest and the inner guest, the employee? That was kind of a loaded question. I mean, did it get a little too crazy for you? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I followed you on that. Um, yeah. So, yes, I mean, ultimately, um, part of who we are as a as a business is we that we're selling these these products with a story, mm-hmm. and we believe that when you drink a coffee that has a face, has a story, um, that means something to us, and that we're passionate about it, that we can present that passion. 
to our customers. And we think it's, we think it tastes sweeter. When, yeah, when, absolutely. You know, when you have that, that, um, personal love for what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, going back a little bit to what you said of, you know, uh, operation of the business. I mean, yes, people want to work for a company that they feel good about. They feel good about coming to. That's true. However, like part of what drives me is to not rely on that as simply being a principle for, oh yeah, we can, we can quote, get away with, you know, paying $15 an hour. And, uh, no, we're, we're going to do the best we can to actually create what we feel like is a fair situation for our, our staff so that it truly is comparable to, um, a, you know, a, a job that you can hopefully like raise a family on or, yeah. or buy a home in your community. Like, yeah, and that's know, pretty rare in the yeah. coffee industry. So one thing, uh, that's kind of a new, uh, idea for me, I just recently finished, uh, behave, uh, humans at their best and worst behavior, or, uh, I can't remember exactly the title, but it's like a 26 hour audiobook. right? It's a, it goes deep about the biology of humans and why we do what we do emotionally in our brains, what's happening in the chemistry. And they start talking about like the history of humans and how we're hardwired to be. And what you're describing right now is altruism. The sense of, if I have it, uh, I should share it. I should pay it forward. I should give it to other people because that sense of altruism, it comes back around like in a tribe, you know, you kill a Buffalo, you and your, your 10 tribe members aren't going to be able to eat that whole Buffalo in one sitting. The meat will go bad before you're able to eat it all. So you might as well give it to the tribe next door. And there's a lot of theories that that's how things worked. That's how we're hardwired to work is to give the excess away. So when we need it, it will come back to us that given that take that share that altruism. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely kind of like betting on that system, I yeah. guess, for the long term. I love it. And I, I'm right there with you. And I think that's kind of where we need to go in the future to kind of flatten the hierarchy, to spread the wealth out, right? To make it about us, not just as good as I can do, not to, to remove that greed, right? So. I, you know, I think the other thing is, is like, um, I really love what I do. Um, and so it makes it really easy to um, work really hard for the benefit of everybody that works for our company as mm. well. And, and I see my staff doing the same. They love, they love this company. They love what they do. So it's, it's, it's easier to go to work when you're happy doing what you love. I love it. So we haven't really talked about how you've scaled, uh, Olympia coffee roasting from 2009 to at that time, there was a, a few different, it was a different business model. Did you guys, uh, sever some of the, you had, drive-throughs and stuff you were right. saying. So, um, 2010, the kind of, um, officially purchased the company and, um, in the Northwest, like 2010, I think was the absolute height of the great recession here. Okay. Um, I think in the first, the first three months of owning Olympia coffee, we lost about 40% of our business. Oh, so geez. it, we kind of knew it was going to happen, but it, but um, it was still painful because you were changing the brand. Basically, we were, we were changing the brand. We were pivoting in a totally different direction. Third wave, 
Yeah, third wave. Um, which is coffees kind of, were expensive. Which is something that's worth mentioning right now because one of the, from what I could gather doing my research, you and Sam were looking at a huge opportunity. Seattle, uh, the Northwest was known for coffee in the states, but other markets started to emerge: Melbourne, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, you know, there's different things happening all over the nation and the world, and you're no longer the hot spot for coffee anymore. You're actually kind of got like the market, the Seattle market kind of got complacent. It did. Yeah. And you saw that there was an opportunity, like we might be known for second generation coffee, but what about this third wave that's happening? Right. And nobody was capitalizing on that. And that was the niche you wanted to hit. Right. Right. Okay. So essentially that's, that's the pivot and the direction that we knew we had to take in order to, you know, be stronger in the years ahead. And you know, um, that really worked well for us. I mean, we started when we purchased the company, we had, uh, one location and then that first few months, I think we added the second location immediately. And, um, I think it took us three years to then add our third location. And then, uh, this actually this year we opened two more and that was our big, um, test, I think, because when we purchased the company, we knew that we had to, in order to fulfill the vision for being the best roaster in the Pacific Northwest, we knew that we couldn't only exist in Olympia, Washington. We knew that we, we had to be in, quote, the other major markets, which is pretty much Seattle and Tacoma, in order to kind of claim that flag. The you know? third wave destination, the third wave coffee roaster. Yeah. Um, so what is, and we, it's hard to believe we're already at almost 52 minutes of recording time right now. Uh, what are some of the things that you think you did, or what are the things that need to be done, I guess, to scale, uh, to five locations in, in eight years? What does that look like? What things need to happen? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of repeating myself again, but, yeah, um, but I won't put emphasis here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've, we focused on systems, um, from when the really like third store happened and we knew that we were going to expand outside of Olympia, we built a lot of infrastructure in place before we, we created that expansion. So, um, hiring a retail director that could help scale this. Okay. So we didn't really talk about this, the infrastructure that needs to be in place before scaling. So what are those key variables? The say that again, the first one was retail director. Okay. Yep. And then we hired an HR manager. Okay. Um, to create kind of like the, I mean, we created an employee manual. We, we tried to answer every single question about the operation that a, a new employee or an employee that had worked for us for three years would ask themselves and kind of create that on paper and then provide a new training structure that would, um, bring our staff along in a, t- in a quicker manner, but also gave them the same information that, that they would have had if they had worked for our company for two years or something. So looked at like the strengths of our training program, focused on those, and then looked at the weaknesses of our training program and just eliminated them, just got rid of them, just, you know, put the, you know, feed the meat basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, we, the other really huge change that occurred right before we um, expanded uh, was we actually rewrote our values as a company. And we, we 
trained, we changed how we hired, which turned out to be like the biggest operational change that we basically ever made in our company. Mm -hmm. We started hiring based on values rather Mm. than work experience. Um, We used to primarily focus on like coffee passion as being like one of the The biggest biggest values, biggest things that we would focus on. We don't hire at all on on coffee passion anymore. So what are your values now? What are the values you're looking for? What are the values you're hiring on? Yeah. So we basically hire for determination, feedback, and uh, teamwork. Mm. Why are those three? What, were, what, what was it about those three that most resonated with you? Where did you learn about these three things? Um, I think to, uh, going back to like Sam's strength is like uh, he's able to kind of he was able to isolate the the factors of what wasn't working for our business and uh, boil those down and say, these are the factors that, that make up Olympia coffee. Getting clarity on who you are. I think that's one thing that's really important too. Uh, you're going to change over time. We yes. as humans evolve. We learn new things. We get outside influences. We develop new values, new ethics, and we need to adapt our businesses around our own adaptations. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, it can't, it doesn't necessarily have to be set in stone and forever. We had, we had values when we started, um, and we thought they were awesome and they worked for us for a long time. And then at a point we just kind of like, actually some of these values are kind of biting us, you know? Yeah. And so it was really important to be like, you know what? We have to keep improving on what we're doing as a company. And we're not scared to say, you know what? I think we were wrong about this. And we're going to change these values. And that's been, it sounds really easy and it was really hard actually, but um, it turned out to be the biggest benefit to creating um, systems and um, helping us achieve the scaling that we wanted to do. So why do you have to start with the values? Why is that where, why is that where you have to start? Um, I mean, because your employees are primarily going to be the people who operate your business. Mm. You're, you're handing over your entire operation your vision to somebody else. And, uh, they have to align with your values as a company. If they don't, um, they're a bad cultural fit and they could destroy you. Yes. That sounds very dramatic, but it's true. You know, at the end of the day, you're only as good as your worst employee because yeah. when you're not looking, they're going to you know, they're your, fa- they're the face, you know, they're going to create those bad experiences. You have to, you're only as good as your, your worst employee and they have to be aligned with your values or else it's just like you said, they could destroy you. Uh, so this has been a great conversation. Uh, before we wrap up the free flowing portion of this conversation, I want to bounce it back off you. Anything that you were hoping we would get to that we didn't get to discuss any bo- value bombs you want to drop on us before we thank our sponsors. Okay, one last question, um, and then we'll, we'll we'll go forward. How have you transformed today? The person you were in two thousand, uh, just getting on board, or wait, wait or no, that, that was the other company. How old were you when you got on board with, uh, or what year was it when you got on board with Starbucks? Ninety six, I would say. Ninety six, two thousand eight to ninety six. Twenty three years of experience or more. I can't do good math. Uh, how have you transformed? I think, I think for me, um, the, the biggest thing that I've learned is that, um, 
to work with people and that people are really the most important factor for, um, all of our, all of our business, um, and operation. And, uh, and I think in the beginning I was totally focused on myself and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and initially it was like, again, just loving the, f- the fun aspect of working behind bar and then falling in love with like latte art and the craft of coffee. But that was really just about me. And then over time realizing how important everybody in this industry is and trying to, trying to fulfill my own personal mission to benefit everybody. Yes. Awesome. I love it. Great answer. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors so I can keep gas in the tank. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into soundtrackyourbrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. I've got a serious question for all the owners and operators looking to increase revenue and get more new paying customers in the door. Here it is. How many times would you trade a $100 bill to receive $500 back? As many times as you could, right? That's a no-brainer. Well, here's the deal. Nick Fosberg, who's written one of the best marketing books for bars and restaurants, who's also been a guest on this podcast a number of times now, reached out to me and wants to run an experiment with my listeners. Nick is looking for a small handful of owners who have a Facebook page, and he wants to set up a promotion for them. But get this. He wants to guarantee them $500 in sales for every $100 they invest in what he is calling his VOP promotion. If he fails to do this, you don't pay a penny. That's the experiment. And just recently, he ran this same experiment to help the owner of Carl and Chell's Grill House get a 282 offers redeemed in just two weeks with net sales of $14,552. If you're interested in getting more information, go to ru500.net. That's RU for Restaurant Unstoppable 500.net or click the link in the show notes for more information. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Determination. Determination. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, I think I'm still sensitive to losing, mm. whatever that term is. I don't know. Still sensitive to losing. So not failure of failure, failure, fear of failure. Failure of failure. Yeah. 
We'll say that one more time. Fear, fear of failure. failure. <laughs> um, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? So when you're hiring, growing your team, I think you already answered this earlier, uh, the values, right? But uh, keep going. This is your time to shine. Sure. So uh, again, we, we really look for determination, excellence, feedback, um, teamwork You know, when we're hiring. Beautiful. Uh, what's your biggest challenge challenge today? Uh, staffing continues to be our largest challenge. Um, I just very competitive workforce mm-hmm. and trying to get awesome people on the team as, as we grow. So how are you dealing with this challenge? How are you getting creative to combat this challenge? We're continuing to look at, um, what we can do to be a better employee and, and, you know, essentially retention is the, the, the biggest element of where we think we can be successful. If we can hang on to employees longer, uh, that would, what incentive do you provide to get people to stick around longer? So every year we look at advancing our benefit package. Okay, cool. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? Empathy. Okay. What is empathy to you? Meeting the customer where they're at. All right. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. I think the element that um, we look for or that we teach as we're um, hiring and training our our staff is to connect on a personal level with every single uh, customer that they meet. So, uh, How do you train to do that? uh, We give them some really simple talking points. So uh, as we, Sam and I have been baristas, we've realized that if you get your customers to talk, it's a heck of a lot easier to get through the day. Okay. Just to have them answer some questions about their life and what, so what questions do you ask? What are some good uh, tricks you can share with my audience? Some like little, uh, some, uh, starting points. Um, I mean the, one of my favorite ones is to, as you're grinding a coffee, to reach across the bar and be like, do you want to smell this? It smells mm. awesome. And then have them. What do you smell? Yeah. Yeah. Like just putting, giving them like a chance to kind of see through the window a little bit and kind of asking them a question to engage. And mm-hmm. sometimes they're like, it smells great. Or, you know, but sometimes they're like, wow, it totally smells like blueberries. Or, yeah. What is one book that's a must read to become a better person or restaurant operator? So, um, it's very industry focused, but, uh, there's a book called espresso coffee professional techniques by David Chomer that for me is kind of, I would say that that's required reading for the coffee industry. All right. It's very technical, but I dig it. So, uh, share an online resource or tool you leverage. Okay. So I think for, um, a resource, um, I still read, uh, a website called Sprudge, which is just kind of a coffee-focused, industry-related um, news website. Uh, I check that pretty much on a daily basis just to kind of see what's going Sprudge. on. Sprudge, is that S-P-R-U-G? D-G, yeah. D-G? D-G-E, yeah. Um, so that's that's a website that I utilize quite a bit. Um, what do you get? What do you go to for this website? Uh, it gives me a sense for what's happening in, in our industry. Okay. So what my peers are up to and... Stay in the loop. Yep. Got you. What is one technology you've adopted that you're leveraging within your restaurant? Something tangible that's a technology that has made you uh, communicate better, uh, be more efficient, just more uh, 
I guess, effective operations. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's like super different than a lot of other people, but, um, I think our strongest format is Instagram. Okay. And one Social trick media. that you're doing on Instagram, one, one, uh, thing that you guys do here that has helped your Instagram game. Um, couple, couple things. Um, we have a professional photographer that does our in- images. Um, and he also is our director of sales. So okay. that really helps. He has a clear understanding for what's happening throughout our, our business. Did he start as your director of sales and then evolve into the photographer? Yeah. So I think there's a lesson right here. This is meant to be the speed round, but you know, tap into your people. What right. else do they, what else can they bring to the table? You got a photographer on staff and they're not taking photos of your restaurant, of your, your dishes, of your, your, whatever it is. Like, that's foolish. Leverage okay. that, you know? Totally. Awesome. Uh, okay. This is the last question and it's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Yeah. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your cafes would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success. What would they be? Something you could leave behind for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? All right. So um, I think... Potentially, they would be um, uh, focused on, or I think my legacy, I hope. Gosh, it's a really <laughs> awkward question. It's a tough one. I, I don't want to die. <laughs> hey, we're not saying you're done. You could get okay. abducted by aliens. You could go live in a, a beautiful, far-off galaxy world with the best coffee beans ever. Uh, but you can't come back. Right. <laughs> uh, I think you know, leading, uh, with your heart, um, is something that I hope I would be remembered for. Uh, I would hope I would be remembered for being like a great employer. Um, and I think I know that we would be remembered for quality because mm. I think that's the, that's the, that's the connecting point for most people. I dig it. This has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your advice, Oliver. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent operator, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show like you've made for us today? Yeah, I think uh, there's a fellow by the name of Peter Giuliano um, who currently works for the Specialty Coffee Association. Okay. The... Um, I would consider him to be uh, a mentor for many in our specialty coffee industry. Peter Giuliano, look up, man. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know if you want to follow your work, follow you online, or maybe join your team. What's the best way to connect? In all the aspects, Olympia Coffee is our... OlympiaCoffee.com, at Olympia Coffee. I'll link to it in the show notes. Oliver, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your advice, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much, Oliver, for coming on the show, sharing your story, sharing your mentorship. Some great lessons in today's conversation. I think the real obvious one is just 
on knowing your values, knowing what matters to you, knowing what your passion is, and finding other people who are aligned with what you're trying to do. And then once you really spend some time really figuring out who you are, where you want to go, only hire people that are pulling in the same direction, who have those same values, passions, and uh, just work ethic. And uh, sounds like that's what they're doing over at Olympia Coffee Roasters. And I think the other big lesson, too, the power of structure, right? The, the power of systems, processes, procedures, and literally painting that picture of perfection, giving your people something to aim for, I think is something that Oliver uh, really understands. One thing I screwed up with in today's episode, I, I wanted to go deeper on the chemistry of this partnership, and uh, we were going to come back to it, but I forgot to follow up. So I apologize for uh, swinging and missing on that one. Uh, maybe if Oliver is listening to this, he can shoot me a quick little message, and I can uh, share that message with you guys on the social media or something. All right, guys. I think that's all for today. Like always, please do reach out to me. Uh, as you're listening to this, I am about to wrap up in Portland, Oregon, and it's been a blast. A special uh, thanks to Mike uh, over at Old Time Meats for just hooking it up. This guy was so supportive. He gave me his RV to stay in for two weeks, his driver RV. Uh, I didn't drive it. It was stationary, but it was so comfortable, and just everyone and anyone who supported me in this road trip, thank you so much. Uh, I might make some stops on my way back east. I'm thinking maybe Missoula, uh, Montana, uh, North Dakota, uh, Toronto, and maybe even Chicago. Uh, so if you guys are out that way and you want to hook up, let me know. Uh, you can connect with me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, and uh, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Keep those five-star reviews and iTunes coming. I'm up to 143 reviews. Who wants to be 144? And then lastly, guys, uh, the best way to support this podcast is by sharing it. Let's get some people behind this mission to inspire, empower, and transform our industry. Guys, when I talk about transforming our, our industry, I'm talking exactly about what Oliver is trying to do with his business, to create a business around certain values that exist to do good. And I think we need more businesses like that. There's enough restaurants in the world. We need more good restaurants in the world. Uh, people that exist to serve uh, to the best of their capabilities. So if you're behind this movement and you want to serve, you can start by letting other people know about this resource of people sharing knowledge and inspiration. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.